0: Welcome, Air Warriors, to our podcast of Chevrons. I am Chief Master Sergeant Sean Sullivan.
1: And I'm Airman Francesca Scridulis. Uh Today, we just had a great conversation with the Command Chief Master Sergeant of the Air National Guard, Chief Master Sergeant Maurice Williams. We got to ask him some questions about um, enlisted development and talk to him about some bigger picture stuff as well.
0: Yes, and he provided us with some really, really great tidbits of different uh, things that are in the works. One of those is a senior NCO enhancement course for E7s and E8s. Uh, We also talked a bit about domestic operations and what the future role of the Air National Guard is going to be.
1: And we had a great time. Um, We think you will, too. So enjoy the interview. Thank you again for talking to us. I'm just going to start right out. Um, As the Command Chief Master Sergeant of the Air National Guard, you're obviously responsible for um, the development of a lot of airmen, um, and you offer the enlisted perspective at the highest level. Um, And so then I was just wondering, how much time do you spend with the average enlisted airman, and um, what tools do you use to make sure that you're addressing everyone's concerns?
2: Uh, I try to spend as much time as possible and that drives my schedule as I get out to the wings and visit the wings and have individual settings with uh luncheons with airmen and also have enlisted calls so I can really feel the pulse of the organization because that's what the uh you know director of the Air National Guard uh want me to do to be able to understand the pulse and obligation, how much the airmen really need. And also I talk with my peers and my staff. I get feedback from them and the command chiefs out in the field every time I have a visit and really get that one-on-one in airman. So I know that I'm meeting the needs of the airmen and what they really need out there because they have concerns. And they may be small concerns, big concerns, but hey, we need to address them all. So that's one of my goals is uh, right now and one of the things, you know, within my position, I'll probably be traveling up from, you know, over about 230 days out of the year so i can try to hit as many wings as possible to be out there the goal is to hit all 90 wings but my previous predecessors didn't hit all 90 wings and this was uh pre-covid so my chances may mm-hmm. be slim but i'll hit all 54 to get out there and hear them all but that's that's my i'll get out there and hear the voice of the airmen.
1: that's that's awesome um that's a lot of travel i didn't even think about that when i was considering you know getting out to meet everybody. You. You don't get to do that from your office, obviously. So that's that's cool. You make that sacrifice in order to reach us.
0: Yes, that's right. If I have a question for you in the chief of staff of the Air Force action orders in uh, Accelerate, Change or Lose, Action Order C stresses the importance that we understand our near peer competition for power and our ever changing relationships that we have with China and Russia. It's really difficult to find good sources of factual and valid information for our airmen. What unclassified source documents or information outlets have you found that we can refer to our airmen so they can get a really good sight picture on what's actually happening?
2: One of the things that I'm going to be speaking as I go out and tour, and one of the things is I'm going to encourage all senior enlisted to start having forms for their airmen. For example you know, if you work in Intel unit and possibly an ops unit, you may get a uh, brief, um, maybe at the secret level, maybe just unclassified on uh, an AOR a location, but we need to be doing an all around the wings and miss support group LRS. And so one of the things I tell Airmen all the time is, hey, utilize different news outlets, not just one, because we'll get narrow folks who use multiple news outlets and cross-reference those news outlets as you look at those and see what information is correct, which things are contradicting. And there are several websites out there also. Uh, If you look at NPR, um, Rutters, those type websites out there that I would recommend to gather information to make sure it's valid and some information and consistent. But one of the things I'm gonna focus on mostly when I'm traveling is definitely having those briefings within our organization to make sure all airmen are informed that we are educated on our near-peer competitors as we look at those action orders uh, that we have. Thank you, Chief.
1: Chief, with uh, our episode being focused on enlisted development, what do you think is the most pivotal part of this that will really make it work and take effect?
2: One of the things uh, with enlisted development, that's one of my major focus areas. And one of the things I'm doing, I'm pushing development down to the lowest level. For example, we have enlisted development opportunities that come out each year. The Air National Guard push it out and they're for command chiefs and chiefs. What I've The steps I've taken is push those down where some of the courses are down for your senior master sergeant and master sergeants. And I also push some of the command chiefs' choices down to chief master sergeant so we can de- develop people at the lower level. And I've also started a new course. It's called a senior and enhancement course. for E7s and E8s and I want to get them exposed to the national level and what the readiness center can provide for them and let them understand the strategic thinking, such as uh, the chief of staff action orders, uh, the director of the Air National Guard focus point, uh, priorities in my focus areas. That's what that course will be provided. For E7s and E8s, and it'll be a four-day course, and I'll offer four courses a year. Uh, we have two beta courses going on uh in July 1 and one in September next year you'll be able to go to your force development office and sign up for those courses. And, and that's one of the ways I want to enhance the professional development within our Air National Guard.
1: That's that's awesome. Those courses sound like a really good opportunity for uh for those for those airmen. Um do you think that obviously down to the lowest level um Chiefs and Master Sergeants are very important. Do you think that enlisted development starts there? Do you think enlisted development starts at an E1? Where do you think it really takes priority or maybe it just doesn't have any priority? Who who needs to um, initiate that?
2: I think it, it starts, um, you know, at the lowest level, at an E1, uh, because of that, at that point we can grow that individual. When they enter our basic training, military basic training, and then they go into to tech school. That development should start at that point as we grow them into what we're looking at now in the Air National Guard and the Air Force is growing that airman to the airman of 2030 to be provided to be competitive with our near-peer adversary. service. And you think about it right now. That airman that we're looking at to grow uh, to come in our Air Force in 2030 is nine years old. So currently we need to be looking at the future We the future leaders we need and put them, develop them today. And so that's why we got to start at the lowest level and start um, enhancing that uh, growth early in their career so we can get some return on investment as they come up in the ranks. So I would say at E1 and all the grades above that, and we're adding additional development opportunities, even at the a- Airman Leadership C- School, we're looking at a course called Prep and Align to build individuals for to take on as an NCO to help people lead those individuals. So that's how we're starting at the lowest level and growing up.
1: That sounds awesome. Thank you, sir.
0: That's excellent that we're doing this because uh, as uh, now a chief, the one thing I found going from the master sergeant to the senior master sergeant ranks is you don't know what you don't know until you need to know it. And I think this is going to do a much better job at uh, arming our future leaders uh, as they as they uh, rise up the ranks. So uh, I, I'm really looking forward to see that program. But now I want to turn to recruiting. Uh, one of the biggest issues that I, I think we've been having in our wing and talking to uh, other chiefs from around the 90 uh, is retaining and recruiting more people than we're tending to lose on uh, an average basis. And the recruiting picture for the ANG has changed because we're now using that combined resources to recruit new talent between all three components. I know that the active duty re- uh, reserves and guards, they've all kind of combined recruiting efforts. Is there any early data to show any effectiveness from an ANG perspective? Are, are we
2: getting more good, talented recruits through this process? Well, currently right now, it's uh – you know, the program, the new initiative started in 2021 when it really kicked off. They had been talking about it a few years, but it really kicked off at the beginning of FY 2021. And it's too early to see if this has in, enhanced the um, re- recruiting stats and data as we are today, because COVID, came, you know, with, with the COVID environment, that has stagnated a little bit. So it's really too early to to look at it currently, right now, you know the Air Force is um, is over there in strength, and we made some changes to our pallet chase and pallet front program to get those individuals over to transfer over into the reserve component, and hopefully that will buy us some way. We just recently received an audit um, from the pallet chase pallet front program, and there's some things that we need to do in our Air National Guard, but. Currently, the recruiters, um, of course, they're operating different right now, but hopefully this initiative, um, we will see the fruits of the labor of this new initiative. I just recently saw, first time, saw some of the Air National Guard um, commercials out there that's uh, showing on TV, so that's part of that, and uh, hopefully we can see some that in the future. But we're, I'm asking the recruiting team to monitor that, and hopefully by next year, Uh, we'll have some data to uh, see if that uh, has helped us all in within our organization. Thanks, Stephen. Just as a
0: little bit of a follow-up on that, um, there's clear guidance as an Air Force that we kind of need to do a better job in matching skill sets with corresponding AFSCs. I mean, how else can we accelerate change? What are your thoughts on adjusting standards of enlistment for talent management? And I'm particularly thinking about the cyber fields. You know, for example, you find a really great, talented cyber warfare uh, individual, but that applicant might have some physical limitations that wouldn't allow them to meet the normal current MEPS criteria. Um, you know, uh, you know, let's say they have some type of a physical ailment, et cetera. Um, is there any thought or your, what are your thoughts of possibly trying to match AFSC need
2: with the individual and waiving some criteria? Well, you know, I think uh, we need to be a very diverse organization. And what I mean by that, we don't need to have barriers to prevent individuals from serving, which meets the standards within our organization. Because I'm a standardized individual, and from my perspective, not lowering the standards to have individuals join our organization, but keeping the standards there. But we don't want standards there that... um, discriminate against individuals. For example, uh, the height requirement for our career-listed aviators is being lowered down to 64 inches due to 45% of the female and 70% of minority do not um, are below that measuring the current height of uh, that they have established out there. But far as meeting the standard, because you know, we need to maintain those standards as, uh, you know, we don't know what type of engagement we'll get in, whether it's physical. Uh, so we need individuals to be physically fit to to stay in our ranks. So from my perspective, I'm not in support of uh, changing those um, requirements and moving forward to allow individuals that cannot meet the physical strength requirement to, be in a, to wear the uniform. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Yeah, it just kind of seems like a matter of being, being prepared. You know, you never know what's going to come up, probably. That's right. Uh, along with being prepared, um, what are some things that you uh, have done or especially now that you continue to do? Because while you are the command chief, um, you, I mean, there's always room to grow, I think. Um, so what are things that you do um, to improve yourself, um, either in, in the National Guard or just uh, in your personal life?
2: Well, one of the things, I, I kind of have a regular routine. Um, I'm a big uh, John Maxwell fan, so I read every day. I have a, a daily reader that I read uh, that have different topics with John Maxwell that, uh, that I read every morning to start my day off. And also, I just, uh, you know, come in and always ask the team, Team 13, as I call my staff, for feedback on things that I'm doing and get their feedback to see how uh, – we're moving the organization. Are uh, the ideas I have do they fit with the average airman out there? or will it enhance the airman's the average airman's career? Because I'm a big advocate of professional development and education, so I try to keep myself grounded in learning something new every time I have an opportunity, and that's usually through reading, re- reading some, uh, staying caught up with the current events, and just something. Uh, leadership reading each day to keep myself. Because one thing I always tell individuals: you got to constantly invest in yourself. If you don't invest in yourself, you won't have anything to give someone else. And that's uh, what I need to do as uh, Air National Guard Command Chief out here serving 92,000 enlisted folks in our organization.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I I just relate this. Um, so I think I was talking to you a little bit earlier. One of the things you said you used to do is you were always reading leadership stuff and stuff like that. So that's, that's cool. You guys have that in common, right? <laughs>
0: Constantly. I have a entire library full of, full of uh, leadership books and, and you can always pull a gem out of it. I think that great leadership is a perishable skill. If you're not continuously trying to practice being a good leader, then you could fall into uh, uh, leadership ruts, shall we say?
2: That's right. That's right. You know, you got to try different things and listen to different things It always give you, like I say, those nuggets that you find, things that can help you out just in your daily life and make you a better individual. Chief, I have a a question for you on modernization and
0: innovation. That's one of your focus areas. And what great ideas have been brought to your attention by our enlisted force and what changes have been made by empowering airmen to work on these ideas?
2: Hey, that's a great question. And, you know, as I travel around, I see a lot of different things. Uh, one of my uh, last trips, I was out in Puerto Rico and I was talking to an airman out in that particular location, you know, and that's one of the areas where COVID was hit hit pretty hard. And, of course, it hit across our nation, but it got hit pretty hard and being geographically separated. He uh, was telling me how he saw something on the Internet, and he utilized that by using a 3D printer to help build face shields that uh, they use throughout the island within the organization and throughout the island to uh, get ahead of the game, to provide some PPE for the organization. And also, you know, just uh, recently, too, I was out in the state of Texas, and the National Guard team out there was an inaugural National Guard uh, winner for the innovation competition. And one of the things they're using, too, is the 3D printer. And one of the things that helps out with those 3D printers that I see I go around the country at our units where our C-130Hs are and our KC-135, because those aircraft are so old. So getting those parts take a while, but they're utilizing through our innovation forms in the National Guard to buy 3D printers and they can make those parts they need rather than make Some parts they cannot order because the manufacturer does not exist anymore, but they're able to get the parts, make a design for it, and utilize it to uh, put on the aircraft as we move, you know, as we uh, still have some pretty old aircraft in our inventory. But those are some of the things that I've seen out there within our enterprises, really those 3D printers through the innovation form to have a great success on our airmen. As a, uh, an uh, in, in
0: old military member. I, I started in the Marine Corps back in
2: 1982. Mm-hmm.
0: I think that the most refreshing change I have seen in the military is the empowerment of our younger enlisted force and initiatives like this, because it wasn't so long ago that your first four or five six ranks in the military was all about just sitting in the back and listening. And and we don't want to hear from you unless we tell you we want to hear from you. So I think that this empowerment movement and all these great ideas is really going to help us accelerate our change and develop a great force. So I love hearing stories about uh, what our great airmen are doing, and especially 3D printers. That's that's, that's some pretty incredible stuff.
2: Yes, it's amazing. Uh, and that's, that's one of the most... Uh... You know, things that we want to do, you know, as, uh, you know, as uh, CQ Brown, talk about his action orders of um, airmen. That's one of the things. Empowering at the lower level, we got to take some risks to have those airmen use those ideas and empower them to make a change because our near-peer series are making changes every day, and we got to stay ahead of the game to accelerate, to uh, stay in the fight.
1: Definitely. You. Yeah. Uh, on the subject of initiative and empowerment, that's obviously a big part of enlisted development is, um, you know, showing that initiative as, as an airman coming up through the ranks, um, and then looking for those chances to be empowered or as a, as a leader, empowering those below you. When you were coming up in your career, did you have leaders that supported those sort of innovating efforts that you had?
2: Well, I, you know, um. Uh in, next in July, I've been in the military 34 years. So as when I was coming up, it was uh, there was no uh, there wasn't any, any empowerment movement. It, you would just do as you were told. It didn't ask any questions. So it was a different type of military, a different type style. I tell you know, I tell leaders today, hey, uh, you got to think about what supervise that you need when you was airman. Right. That's what you need to provide to how I am in the day. And so during those times, I did not have that support system in that way. But I did have a real disciplinary uh, chief that I worked up under um, and he pushed me to do things and step outside of my comfort zone to do things and provided opportunities for me. But it was in a very rugged way. It wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't in an influential way where uh, we got some motivation about it. It's told this is what you're going to do with no question behind it on how it will help me. So I did not have that in my career. So that's why I tried to change it as I became a leader to have that motivation, and inspiration to inspire people to change uh, things they do in their life and tell them the why behind it and how it can help them in the future. So I had to flip that around.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I I understand why there might be reasons for, you know, just blindly following sometimes, but but it's it's a lot easier when when you know the why behind what you're doing. So, uh my next question for you now is um for airmen coming up that might not have that support or don't have those kind of leaders that are leading the way that maybe um the Air Force is turning with um that empowerment, how would you suggest that they get over those hurdles? Um, and really make those brilliant ideas they have happen.
2: Right. Well, I definitely would highly recommend. Today, we, we live in a very advanced um, technology world and reaching out to people, even if you're following uh, leaders on social media, they're putting out nuggets and providing guidance every day to individuals to help them be successful in their lives. And to be on a more personal level, I definitely would identify someone that I know that I would want to recommend to be a mentor for me. Now, mentor or a coach, because coaching and mentoring is two, two different things, you know. I look at coaching as short-term, mentoring is long-term. I look at coaching as being uh, task-oriented. I look at mentoring as being developmental. So, you got to find someone that you want to have as a coach or you want to have as a mentor to help build that and help you grow with, as an individual, uh, in the uniform and out of the uniform. So that's what I would recommend anyone looking out for someone like that, and also uh, following someone on social media who who has those tools and insight that you're inspired to be or the direction you want to go in.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, like you said, so even if your leadership might not be supportive, you know, right? Like what you said with technology, we're connected to leaders everywhere now. Um, especially with that social media. So, I mean, nobody's alone in it if you're not getting that support.
2: That's correct.
0: If I have a question, uh, as far as domestic operations in our country, uh, this has been a huge, huge year for the Guard with a variety of domestic operations. And I'm sure this has increased awareness on the Hill of what the Guard capabilities are. Um. Have you seen any increase in the role of the ANG in domestic operations in any areas that we previously were not involved in, or any new areas that may emerge where you could see um, the role of the Air National Guard
2: uh, being used more in domestic type operations? Yes, I do. Um, you know, currently, uh, a lot of times we had never been utilized as a defense force or a uh, place to a force to secure. Um, buildings, our location like that as much as we did here previously. So that role has picked up our quick reaction team. During um, the inauguration, we had over 2,700 uh, security forces down at our nation's capital to to provide a peaceful transition from one in chief over to the other. And we did that, no security forces. Some of those divided up as quick reaction force teams, and some of them just provided security around the different monuments and the events during that time period. And we also had people that provided um, security and providing some of the intel for what was going on around the country. So I could see us engaged in more intel and also into security aspect. And based on the actions that we've taken over the last year, it's been a huge, as you mentioned, it's been a huge year for the National Guard and the Air National Guard in itself and the things that we've uh, deployed and done even with uh, COVID, too. So that role has expanded, will expand, and especially within the medical field, we provided more medical individuals uh, than our counterparts even on the Army side in helping with the COVID operation. So I do see that in the intel within the cyber community, hey, within security and within the medical area. Those three areas right there, and I see uh, us expanding a lot more based on what we're doing, because we're popping on the Hill now and what we have provided with our nation. During this time, we never had this many people deployed before in the National Guard since World War II. We had over um, about forty thousand people overall the year of being deployed just within domestic operations. Well, wow, those are some incredible numbers. As you
0: have uh, gone around and uh, met with our folks out in the field, um, how are they holding up to the uh, this new operations tempo?
2: Well, you know. Uh, it's pretty rapid and they're holding up well, but, uh, you know, of course, with time and time and time again, um, people are getting, some people get burnout, uh, because it's been a constant on orders. We just had a large group, the last group that was at the nation's capital come off orders here just, uh, on the 23rd of May, uh, the last group we had like 2000 majority of those were, um, uh, army soldiers that was still up at the nation's capital, but we still have people out on COVID missions. And one particular area is, as I speak to, as I'm out around is our medical folks, because with the COVID mission, we have so many people out uh, of our medical groups. And that's one area that I hear the most about saying they're getting burned out because a lot of their people, of course, are in the medical profession and they're being utilized at their civilian job. And then also they were asking people to, to be on domestic operations within the Air National Guard. So that's one of the areas that I've seen uh, the most um, concern of people getting burned out.
0: Well, I know as, uh, as supervisors in our wing, we, uh, we're keeping a good eye on our people, making sure that they're staying resilient and focused and trying to uh, maintain a good wingmanship all around. And I'm sure that's going to be the uh, the flavor across the ninety as well.
2: I agree. I agree definitely.
1: Uh, one more question I have for you, sir. Um, as you've stated that um, enlisted development is is on your list of priorities, it's one of the goals that you have as the command chief. Has there been any specific event in your life, or was there any any moment that really prompted that to take a forefront in your priorities?
2: Yes, you know uh, after. Uh I went in residence to the NCO Academy at McGee Tyson and and doing my attendance there at McGee Tyson. um, I did very well uh, going through the NCO Academy and and that right there was um, a motivational period in my life where I focused in more on education and began to develop myself a lot more based on my experience at the uh, NCO Academy at McGee Tyson. So that was the kind of turning point uh, at that at that time. And also, once I made, uh, made the rank of chief master sergeant, having an opportunity of more developmental courses to go to, I attended as many as I could in, as a chief and, and currently as a command chief. Um, when I became a command chief back in 2010, uh, that provided the opportunity for me. So I took advantage of those opportunities to help Like I say, continue to develop myself because I felt more, even at that point, I felt more pressure on myself to to keep myself uh, educated and uh, motivated to be able to impart that on other individuals that I will lead. So I want to take in as much uh, education as possible because I believe that education is a great equalizer to make us better individuals. And I want to be able to do that so I can be successful in leading people.
1: Definitely, it's it's great then that you went ahead and you made those extra courses for, like you said, those master sergeants and senior master sergeants, so that they can start taking advantage of that, like before you were able to as a chief.
2: That's correct. That's correct. We need to do things better, better than we did them before, and change the dynamics to um, start developing people at an early age and provide them the opportunities to be empowered and bring up those great ideas and uh, to help provide that security for our nation.
1: Awesome.
0: Hey Steve, I just had one last question for you. Um, I okay. wanted to just ask you, what would be one fun fact about command chief Williams that, uh, that, uh, we, we don't know about that would be uh, fun for the enlisted to know about one, one good fun fact.
2: One good fun fact. Um, let me see here. Well, I went down to the um, fitness center. I was calling myself, I went down to find the fitness center at the Pentagon. And once I found the fitness center, I couldn't find my my way out of it.
0: (laughs) We've all been there, Chief. We've all (laughs) been there. Uh, Chief, I just wanted to wrap up by thanking you uh, for your time and for uh, sharing uh, some wisdom for our enlisted force here on our podcast. We really look forward to uh, seeing you uh, in our wing and look forward to hosting your visit for you and Team 13.
1: And I did also want to ask, uh, Command Chief, is there anything you wanted to add before we finish up?
2: I, I just want to thank you uh, Thank you for giving me the opportunity to, to be on the podcast today and share my thoughts and share my opinions on the question that you asked to help people get a better insight of how I think and what my perspectives are. Perspectives are. And um, I think it's just a great opportunity. And I think it's a great thing that you're doing with your podcast to get out and, and put the message out there in the airways to everyone that will listen in and uh, educate the airmen within your AOR. It's, it's a great thing that you're doing. And uh, I applaud you for what you're doing. So thanks, thanks again for giving me this opportunity and what you're doing for our enlisted force and our entire organization.
1: Thank you so much, sir. It was a pleasure um, meeting you getting to talk to you like this. Um, And thank you, everybody, for listening. Chief Sully.
0: Thank you again. And uh, thanks for all of our listeners. And uh, Air Warriors, have a great Air Force day.